If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to One to One, an interview series in which I, Bertie, a longtime writer for Eurogamer, find wonderful people from around the world of games to have a lovely long chat with. Remember, subscribers to the Eurogamer website get these episodes first, and you can find out more about that in the description below or over on the Eurogamer website. Today, we look inwards again to spend a bit of time with someone else from the Eurogamer team. This is someone who recently stepped up to become editor of a hugely important part of the site now, which is guides. These are a fundamental part of what we and many other sites like ours offer today, and we take pride in them. But there are a lot of work done well. This person is also a devoted fan of RuneScape, a fiction writer, and meticulously makes handwritten notes in journals piled on her desk. <laughs> I wish I could write that neatly. Um, they are Lottie Lynn. Lottie, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> How did you like my introduction? It was fine. Why did you have to mention the fact that I do everything handwritten, Bertie? <laughs> because I find it fascinating. There are piles of, of, of journals on, on Lottie's desk and, and the handwriting is immaculate, but we'll, we'll go on to this um, in a moment. And what have I interrupted you doing this morning? Uh, handwriting for Stray preview. <laughs> so why, why do you write because you're doing this right next to a computer yeah. and presumably typing is, is much faster, but you write out these notes first on in, in a journal. Why do you do yeah. that? Because um, I'm really fast at typing. I can average about maybe 100 words per minute. That's a minimum. Cranky. And when I'm typing up a feature, so I don't handwrite guides because that would be insane. Um, when I'm writing a feature piece, I often find that I get stuck when I'm typing because I type so fast that I um, I get to the end of my point before it's properly developed. And then I end up having to spend so much time editing that one sentence that I forget where I'm going. And then I have to start over and over again. So um, when I used to type them, I had to write everything in bullet points so that it felt separate. But when I handwrite, I'm a lot slower. So it um, it gives me more time to think everything over. And I also handwrite all my fiction. So it just feels a bit more natural to write the feature pieces in handwritten. And then I can go off and I can do like jot little notes down as I'm going. Because I might come up, I might be like, oh, I'm going to write that sentence and I'm going to put it over there. And I move things about quite a lot and I can have like different pieces of paper which have different like paragraphs on and I can move them about a lot so it's a way of slowing your thoughts down yeah exactly yeah because everything is quite fast these days yeah. isn't it the, the internet is fast yeah. computers are fast it's everything's yeah. been sped up and I'm but less likely quite a jumble. yeah I'm less likely to get distracted as well and because often when you're writing a feature piece you've got like 
this list of stuff you've got under embargo you've got you want to have that trailer open it means that i can use my screens for like additional research rather than just writing and having to flip between stuff do you find it calming writing physically yeah yeah yeah, i do i keep like a diary as well i've done that since i was about 13 and it's find it very relaxing to just sit down and handwrite stuff for hours and and be surrounded by these people typing away and just be like, oh, I am being productive, I promise. I love it because it's also, it creates a physical thing where today so much is stored digitally that it reminds me of going to visit developers or, or studios and walking around and, and you're there looking at this huge creative process, but they'll show you into the artist's room or show you into the writing room and all you see is computers um, unless they've really decorated with their artwork and things. And I always find that a little bit disappointing. I would rather see things and see a big creative process everywhere. So that's quite nice. Yeah, it's nice as well because I I can find everything apart from in my post-it notes. They're just a mess. I think there's a bit of a joke in the office that I usually end up keeping all my post-it notes to the end of the week then I chuck them all out and then I come in on Monday and I can never find the one which had something really important on because I've just tossed them all away. How many um, pads of post-it notes do you go through a month, let's say? Two. Oh, okay. That's not crazy. It's not that bad. Uh, that's in the office, so <laughs> we won't say how many it is at home. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Multiply by 10. Yeah, a little bit. No, less. I think it's maybe five. On a good so month. you became um, guides editor um, mm. of Eurogamer recently. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, guides is, as I mentioned in the introduction, an integral part of not just what Eurogamer does, but what all game sites pretty much um, on the internet do. Um, but I don't think a lot of people still understand the process of what's behind it and how these things are put together and sometimes even you know, kind of why. I think there's a sort of superficial um, understanding, but I want to go kind of a bit deeper. So I want to understand what the process is in putting together a guide. I know you're working on a stray preview at the moment, but is there a guide that you're working on at the moment that we could almost use as like a case study? Um, Where does a guide begin? So it's very different um, if you're working on a live service game or if you're working on a regular game. So live service games, it's pretty much always running on trends or upcoming events. So Pokemon Go, I do most of the coverage and that is often covering events. And I now have written so many Pokemon Go guides that I can just sit down and just do it. Um, But for, it's it's a fortnight day because the challenges are coming out. So what we'll do is we will look at the initial challenge list and we will say, well, that one's the location. You're looking for something very specific. That one's worth covering because people want to know where it is. Mm. Or that one requires a specific type of weapon. So what type of weapon? I think a good example is a while back we had do a certain amount of damage with thermal weapons. And obviously in Fortnite, it doesn't tell you what a thermal weapon is. So we were like, okay, we'll find out what the thermal weapons are and then how to get one. Like, what's the easiest way to get them? 
and that is the guide. And then later we'll, we'll wait, maybe, so we'll do the initial ones we think are good, and then we'll check the trends to see what might be popping up. Because you never know, because everybody's different. So I might look at something and be like, oh, that looks really easy. It's not worth covering. And then it turns out it's the most difficult thing. With um, with normal games, it depends on whether or not we've gotten code. Um, we, we don't often get code. So um, if we have magically gotten it before code, it will often be playing through the game and seeing what jumps out. And that's stuff like collectibles, annoying puzzles, boss battles, instructions which the game clearly thinks are super clear and obvious and then you're like, that makes no sense. How on earth is anyone going to figure that out? I think a good example of that is, oddly enough, in New Pokemon Snap where they were like, you need to take a picture of an orange glowing Pokemon but they tell you this in a very shortcut scene and they don't tell you which route it's on and I got stuck for two hours. Wow. Until I accidentally turned the camera to the left and was like, "Oh, it's it's right there, it, ah, it's right there." <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's so it's kind of trying to put yourself in the mindset of yeah. someone who's who's picked up the game and trying to think about what are the things they might turn to the internet yeah. for for help." Okay, I see. So you mentioned getting code before games now. For people listening, I'm sure you know what this is, but that just means when a publisher sends a copy of the game um, or a code for the game on whatever platform to us so that ahead of release so that we can prepare review coverage, videos and guides. So how much time do you need to make a guide? Because it sounds quite intensive. Do you have to play the whole game through? Like, How long does it take? Well, it, it very much depends on what you're doing. Um, I don't necessarily always have to play the whole game through because people like Elden Ring, for example, that was not going to happen. No, no, none of us were like, yeah, well, we'll just casually finish Elden Ring before writing the guide. That seems like a reasonable way to approach this. Um, when It's a lot easier kind of when the game comes out because then you have the trends and you can figure out what people are looking for. And we it's also important to know that when we are playing a game like this, we're recording all of our footage. So okay. it's we never have to just restart the game and go from scratch. Um, so it's often it's often quite easy to just go back and figure out. And then if you need any additional screenshots in game, you can just run over and go and grab them. But I think when it comes to how long a guy can take, that that very much depends on the subject matter. Um, I think I, I've been quite known to like I make the Pokedex guides, and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to make a Pokedex guide. I'll see you guys in two days <laughs> as I um, as I figure out where every single Pokemon is. Wow! Have, have fun. Um, so, do you have to find individual Pokemon and? I, I use I, for that. I, I we use data mines and stuff like that. I'm not going to go and find every individual Pokemon in game because I would still be writing like, the Pokedex guide. And with a game like Elden Ring, do you have to get really good at it and be able to defeat all the bosses? Well, thankfully, we had freelancers for that because I am not really good at Elden Ring. Okay. Um, Wes had a lot of fun watching me play Elden Ring and die constantly <laughs> because. Um, I have not played a Dark Souls game in years and had completely forgotten everything 
and was very much like, oh, I'll just give it a go. And then I was like, this is not having, <laughs> we're not doing very well today, are we? So there are, as I mentioned, there are lots of sites mm. doing guides. I mean, you only have to type in the name of a, a game and guide or just even the name of a game and you'll see how many um, are out there. But what makes a, a good guide? Because I think, you know, many people can maybe take information that's available somewhere else and package it their own way and yeah. offer someone a guide or a walkthrough. But, you know, this, this is something I'm sure you think about a lot. What, when you see a guide, yeah. how do you know a quality guide and, and, and what are you trying to provide for people, I suppose? So no fluff, get to a point. People don't want to read three paragraphs of bullshit before oh, no, you get to the information. Yeah, you, you've just got to be quick and clear. I think we have quite a good structure. Um, one of my favorite things about the Eurogamer guides is we have a contents, so you can just jump to what you need and you don't have to read everything because some of them can get really long. Um, if, yeah, so the things really, that really yeah. annoy me is um, I'm often looking up recipes for things. Mm. I don't do I don't do a lot of cooking, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I push myself, and it feels like every page is structured for SEO. So you click on a recipe, yeah. and what you want is right down at the bottom. Yeah. But what you get at the top is like the history of this dish or something, something yeah. to pad out the page. Uh, yeah, so we avoid doing that. I can't imagine anyone. Okay. I think the only places where I really like let myself do a little bit is in the Pokemon Go um, raid counter guides, where at, at the bottom, that's the important thing, it's at the bottom, there is a little section called, which is basically, Lottie has a load of random Pokemon lore in her head, and she has to put it <laughs> somewhere. And I don't expect anyone to read that. That's purely for me. And that's why it's shoved at the bottom of the guide underneath all the important information. Um, I think there is one random point in the Skyward Sword walkthrough where um, I have a little rant about a plot hole I really hate in the game, and that is the only <laughs> fluff in the entire thing. Um, it sounds like um, news writing to me. That was how I yeah. kind of grew, grew up on, on games writing, where you get the information across as concisely as possible import most important information yeah. at the top then it kind of spreads out i think of, i suppose yeah. of people call it the inverted news pyramid but i've always thought of it as a pyramid where it's short at the beginning and then it spreads out yeah um at the bottom it sounds a bit like that yeah yeah it basically is but it's just figuring out you know often how to divide the sections up um which which order the information will go in is useful and then the important bit is getting the right screenshots and whether or not i have to jump into photoshop to do circles or make something a bit clearer or touch up an image if it's really dark because um you know even if it's um, reflective of what's on game if you're having trouble seeing something it might be easier for me to just make the image a bit more viewable so that when you're playing it's easier to figure out exactly where you should be, if that makes any sense. It does. And it sounds quite time intensive as well. I mean, how long does it take to, I know all games are different here, but typically if a new game came along, there are no games coming out, so there's no examples <laughs> I can use. But if a new about, game came along... What about Xenoblade Chronicles 3? <laughs> So, so it's the only Chronicles person 3. excited for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I think there are lots of people excited about Xenoblade. Yeah. That's, not, well, I think that's a good series. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So 
Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is coming out. How long do you think a guide is going to take? To get... I know there's different aspects of oh. the guide as well, but the sort of first part of the guide, how long is that going to take to get up? It literally depends on what the subject matter is. I can generally tell, like, roughly when I'm about halfway through writing how long it's going to take. I think often you're in this situation where writing the guide is the short part. It's inputting and formatting the guide, which is the hard part, because you've got to find the screenshots. And often when you're finding the screenshots, you might realise that you have to move the information around a bit better because it might be easier to have this screenshot there. So that paragraph is now a sentence. The other stuff is down here. That needs a screenshot. Or like if you realise you need to make a map, so then you've got to go away and you've got to do a load of photoshopping and it can take like an hour. (laughs) Or then you go, actually, I need a table and that takes an hour to make the table and format the table. So it takes me long enough to input a feature with none of that. So I can only imagine. I love inputting features. It takes me five minutes. I don't know why you guys sit around and, and are like, oh, it takes so long. <laughs> you I don't have to now. you don't have to add in subheadings or a contents or links. You, you just, just making pretty pictures, CMS. Lottie. You know, they don't they don't just come from nowhere. It takes five minutes, Bertie. Okay. So let's not quick. tell it let's not tell anyone that. Let's <laughs> let's just assume that I, I do lots of work, everyone. So do you use guides? When, when you're playing a game, do you use guides? Is it something that you like to use or are you a bit like, no way, that's too much on my day job? Uh, it depends if I really get stuck. I think um, an interesting thing which has started in, in what games I play since I started this job is I've, I now play a lot more indies than I used to, um, right. mostly because the AAA just feel like work. So, right. um, And it's a lot of random stuff I'll find on itch.io which I'll just play for an evening and then I never play again because I finish it because, you know, the games are only an hour long. Um, And often those games don't have guides because they are random things I found on itch.io. But occasionally, like, I think... What was it? Oh, Stardew Valley. I play a lot of Stardew Valley at the moment, so it's often that I will use the wiki on the guides because I always forget where that one fish is. And obviously, like you said, I play RuneScape. I will use RuneScape guides um, often because, again, I, I need to remember where that one random thing is. And I, it's always the thing I can never remember. Or I'm doing, um, they, they have these um, little uh, mini kind of side quests called Adventure Scrolls, which okay. have loads of clues for you to scro- solve. And I ah. always get the anagrams and I'm awful at anagrams so i'll have like the anagrams page on my phone so that i can just be like because if i try and solve it myself i'm going to be there for two days i cannot (laughs) do them i I stare at them and i just all i can see is the jumbled word they've presented me with yeah and all my mind is doing is like what's a sugar or something that's as far as i get i can I've, I've played the game so much I can I know when I get one which has like coordinates on it I know roughly where I'm going but the moment I get an anagram I'm like yeah no, I'm done yep let's just get the wiki up there we go there it is off I pop this is not happening so we'll come on to RuneScape in a bit because yeah I've got lots to ask you about RuneScape because I I know you have a long history with it yeah. but uh, back to guides for a second when I started um, writing about games guides online guides weren't 
really. I think it was, seeing it was kind of the prima books, the, the big things that came with, with the game. So guides were kind of there, but they were a bit like a step well, removed. I you had game FAQs and okay, that was the big one. And I like, sadly, uh, all of my game FAQ guides got murdered in the Great Purge. And they were written uh, on my old PC in a text in, um, oh, what is it? Is it just like text docs? Like notepad, notepad. They were all written in notepad and they were not backed up. And so they are gone forever. Um, you're telling me you didn't write them, handwrite them as well? No, no, because I was 12. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like 14. What? And I wow. was, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll come back to that in a second as well. But um, now, of course, it being a major part of, of, hmm. of many sites, it's um, a viable way to join the industry. Um, you know, can specialise in guides themselves, or, or, or you just get yourself in the, in the door somewhere and write about games, and you get to play the games and things like that. Do you have any advice for aspiring game, um, guides writers? What would you What would you tell them if they wanted to get into the industry that way? What would you say? I would pay attention to the most popular games at the moment. Keep your, when you're pitching someone, keep your topics very specific. Don't just say, oh, I have this game. Do you want to write guides on it? Like have a look and see what it's worth covering, especially because um, whoever you're pitching might already be covering the game. So they're most likely going to have a hit list of topics they want to do. So if you turn up and you say, well, I, I, I can cover this collectible, they'll probably be quite happy because that, they can cross it off their list. Uh, advice. You should have told me about this question because I could have written some <laughs> things down. But, uh, have a look at the website style and okay. see how they actually format the guides. How, like, do they do sections? Um, how do they format their intro? Like roughly how long is the intro? How do they format their headlines? Because that way, if you can match the style quite well, it will help them input, which means it's up quicker, which means you're more likely to get more pictures. And published. if someone was pitching you uh, directly and said, hey, um, I've just come out of college or something or i've just come out of university i'm really keen um to to write guides you know i'm, I'm a massive games fan um, etc what's the next step for them is that to submit some examples of guides writing what what would you ask them to do what what are you looking for so i'll just base it off how i got into the industry um a good tip i had is i literally got my first interview in the industry because i when i submitted my portfolio to places i formatted my portfolio like I would a short story portfolio and by that oh, I mean wow. I had a contents page and when you're submitting a portfolio of short stories you always have to have a contents page and it's very good practice that underneath each section of the content so underneath each store each story you put a short synopsis of what it is ah. so that when people are reading it through they can jump to what sounds most interesting to them. They don't have to sit and read your whole 10-page portfolio. They can pick and choose. And okay. I, because I literally did that, that meant they read the story they were interested in and they liked it, so I got an interview. So wow. if you're submitting portfolios, I think that's a generally good way to go about it. Um, but always, if you don't want to do the synopsis, always have a contents page. So that people know what you, it gives a good idea about what the kind of things you're writing and what kind of things you want to offer to them really quickly. 
And especially if people don't have a lot of time. Um, and also, like, make sure your portfolio is, like, 10 pages maximum. Unless there's, like, a, unless you have, like, a massive long feature piece, which is really important and you really want it in there, it shouldn't be more than 10 pages. I think for video game journalism, like, short stories is a different whole bag when it comes to length. Yeah, great advice. So I want to go back in time a bit now because I love seeing how people got to where they are now. And you've already mentioned mm. that you... Uh, wrote some guides when you were younger so I wondered when when that became a part of uh, something you do so let's go right back what did little Lottie Lynn it's a bit of a tongue twister little Lottie Lynn uh, want to be when uh, when you grew up uh, I even wanted to be an archaeologist I wanted wow. to specify in Egyptology wow. I wanted to be a fantasy author and the reason why I'm a journalist now is that I got into an archaeology course and an English Lit with Creative Writing course, and I couldn't pick. And on my A-level results day, I flipped a coin and I did the English Lit course. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so if it had been the other way, I would have gone and studied archaeology and probably I think the plan was to um, specialise in bone analysis. Okay. Hmm. So are you still interested in that? Did you just leave that completely behind? Oh, or? yeah, yeah. I still read, like, archaeological journals and stuff like that. Okay, wow. So at what point did games become a part of your life? Is this just a constant oh, through life? Oh, so, like, um, always always played video games. Um, I think the first video game I played was probably when I was, like, maybe four Free. Wow. And it was the, um, sorry, I have to keep my hands busy, so I'm just playing with something. Um, <laughs> it was the the space-themed pinball game, which was on Microsoft laptops. Oh. I can never remember what it's called. Okay. But it yeah, was on I'm... all of them for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then we, we finally bought a home PC, like, maybe when I was about five or six. And my dad had an old load of old um, PC gamer demo discs <laughs> okay. because they used to buy them in one of his offices because they were, I think for a while, P PC gamer or like somehow there was a trial disc for Doom, which would come with some um, copies of a magazine. And they used to play the trial of Doom over the Ethernet in the office until the trial was run up. And then they'd go and they'd buy another one. But they'd always, it would come like with two discs. So we had this pile of like games, um, many of them with guns. So a fun, a fun fact about my gaming history is that I, I do not play many games with guns in because I was oh. not allowed to play games with guns in when I was growing up and as a teenager. And my mum to this day, even if I'm working from home, will not let me play a game with guns in the house. <laughs> wow, are you like, mum, yeah. this is my job? This is my job. And she's like, well, I don't want you playing Fortnite in the house. It has guns in it. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm working in the car. I mean, respect, I guess. Um, yeah. There is an odd fascination with guns. Uh, yeah, um, the the weird counterpoint is that there were no rules on what films I was allowed to watch or what books <laughs> I was allowed to read. Okay. So I, like, I watched Apocalypse Now at a very early age, but I was not allowed to play Tomb Raider. I think Tomb wow. Raider, um, the joke behind that is I actually did get a copy of Tomb Raider 
very aware that I was not allowed to play. I played it with the sound off. Okay, sneaky play. That is not an easy game to play with the sound off. I did not get very far. Of course. So, so when you're growing up, um, you said that you flipped a coin um, and yeah. ended up doing English literature. But you mentioned earlier that you were writing GameFAQ guides yeah. uh, at 14, 12, 14. Is... Yeah, I mean, they weren't very good. It was a lot of stuff about... Um, I think there was a couple of lore guides for Legend of Zelda. Um, there was some Friends of Mineral Town stuff. Uh, for some reason, I wrote some Pokemon Channel guides because I think that game's great, despite popular opinion. Um, it's just nuts. <laughs> it's especially fun to play when you're drunk. <laughs> Why did you want to write guides? Uh, well, Why so we guides? I, I just wanted to. I've written ever since I could. Like I write fantasy. I write. Um, I, I, I write science fiction. I write weird horror stuff. I write. Um, literature essays, literal criticism essays for fun, which never will see the light of day because um, nobody wants to read them. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I was just like, oh, I can, I can write about video games. I wanted to do it for practice, really, because I wanted to be a video game journalist. And okay. I didn't really want to have a blog at the time. Um, I don't know why, I just didn't want to have a blog. And I've just found game FAQs and I was like, oh, I can do this. And then I don't know if anyone listening can remember, there was an issue with the site a couple of years back and a load of guides got deleted and mine were included in that. And I can no longer access my account. So and I no longer have copies. Uh, only about maybe four or five because I got distracted doing other things. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So... You go on to study um, creative writing or is it English literature? English literature with creative writing. Okay. Um, yeah. And at that point, are you still keen on becoming a games journalist? Or do, yeah, or do yeah you... pretty much. Okay. Um, I wanted to be a games journalist, a journalist, but I didn't think I'd get in because the other thing I ended up wanting to do was be a lecturer in English literature. So I finished my BA and went on to do my master's in creative writing and then spent probably three or four, no, three years trying to get my PhD funded and wow. having a bizarre number of events, which meant that I would get halfway there and then get put back to the beginning. We're talking stuff like my paperwork going missing at universities and... okay. Um, there's a whole different saga with with Glasgow Uni where I almost was like basically ready to start and then couldn't. Um, just weird admin things which were completely out of my control um, in my attempt to do my PhD. And I, it got to the point where I was like, you know what, I can't, I can't do this because every time I lose funding, I can no longer go to the people I'm funding with anymore because of weird PhD. If you've ever tried to do a PhD, you'll probably know that it is like, it can get insanely complicated because you, to, to be able to afford it, you need funding from like either the university or an external body. And it can take 
a very long time to get the funding. And if you lose it, especially if you lose it through a variety of admin errors, it's um, very hard to get funding again. So it got to the point where I just got really frustrated and I was like, I really want to do this, but I mentally cannot go through another year of being told you're starting in September to get to July to be told that your money has mysteriously disappeared again. Because I would think you still... it, it, it happened twice. I would I would love to do it, but um, I think I would probably retool my um, my what I do want my thesis to be on. Mm. So I might actually have to go back and do another master's. But I wow. might just yeah, I might just do that for fun though. I'm very boring. I like uni. I like the work. <laughs> I don't think that's boring. I think that's really nice. So the writing um, that you've done or the writing that you do, you mentioned that you do quite a broad um, amount of writing, different areas. Yeah. What kind of things have you written and can people read these anywhere? Or so are you published in any way? Or I, I, I have four short stories published. Um, wow. I, they all, I think it's two. Yeah, I think I do know. Yeah. Uh, it's two short, um, two short pieces of science fiction, um, okay. one horror story, and one kind of weird piece I wrote for a university journal, which is no longer in publication and therefore can no longer be found. And I'm quite happy about that because I now <laughs> think it's a bit rubbish. <laughs> um, so, and... where does your, where do your inspirations come from from for those kind of things? Are there certain authors or? fictions uh worlds universes that you're kind of inspired by what what are your inspirations so i was read tolkien at the age of four and that pretty much cemented it lord of the rings wow. yeah um <clears throat> but it's uh i read all sorts of stuff now um fantasy i think a lot of the the great thing about at the moment is that we're finally getting queer fantasy and science fiction on mainstream shelves mm. and growing up and having to find it through fan fiction or like people's independent websites, being able to actually go and buy that book now from like Waterstones is amazing. So, but I, I generally, I, I read a lot, like a lot, like get through about a book minimum a week. Um, wow. Wow. I, I, I don't sleep very well, Bertie. I gotta do something. <laughs> so uh, have you got any hot recommendations for us? Yeah, I've just finished, um, you'll have to see, I cannot pronounce the author's name, The Dangers of Smoking in Bed, which is a brilliant short story collection by an Argentinian author. Um, you've got Gideon the Night by Tamsin Mir, uh, The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Sharon, because especially... I've read that. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Um, other things like... Gormenghast. I always recommend people Gormenghast because I read Gormenghast when I was 13 and thought it was the coolest <laughs> shit. And then I read Neuromancer and also thought that was the coolest shit. Uh, other things, sorry, I read... Uh, what else? I just read In the Misu Soup as well by another author. I, I have remember. read that. Is that the one in set in Tokyo and it's really yeah. quite odd and violent? Yeah, I, read I that really like that. I thought that was really yeah. good. It's a bit um, like um, American Psycho, I heard it compared to. Yeah. But in Tokyo. But in Tokyo, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I tend to just go and find something which I think is interesting. Um, the stuff I write is mostly a mixture now of fantasy and horror. 
um, just because nice. that's what's so interesting are you, me. Are you working on a big, is, is, a, is an ultimate goal to have, say, a, a big fantasy yes. novel? Or? Yeah, the, yeah, the ultimate goal is to finally write a novel I fucking like. I'm sorry, I keep <laughs> swearing. I didn't know how much I can swear. Um, I think Betty knows that I'm a bit sweary in real life. Um, um, that's absolutely fine. Once one oh, swear word good. is in, that's fine. Okay, grand. Uh, you've opened the floodgates now. You realise that. I was yeah. being, I was trying to be good. Um, yeah, the, the ultimate goal is to write a fantasy novel, which I actually like. Um, I have a, I have two on the go at the moment, and I'm in the process of... Two? Yeah. They're in the research wow. stages, so I have a problem that I can't always focus on a project. I get distracted, so I allow myself to have multiple projects, and then I have to put in the equal amount of time in a week, and I keep track. Um, I've I've bought myself a whiteboard now, so it, it's all madness. Oh, brilliant! Um, Does it look a little bit scary if people come in and they're like, "Wow, that's well, it's only a small organized. one because I wanted to prop it up on a shelf so I can see it from where I'm sitting." But um, okay. it it's it's when I finally find a flat which will let me put a massive pinboard up on the wall, it will be the old uni days where um, my uni room had like a hand-drawn map made out of 30 different pieces of A4 paper, which I'd drawn over the course of a year and just put up on a wall. People were like, are you going to write something in that world? And I was like, yeah, eventually. At the moment, it's just on the wall. (laughs) So you're in the process of, what, creating worlds Mm. for these books? or Yes. So one, one is a completely new creation. One is retooling a world which I made when I was 16 and it's very much going through and taking out all the bits which are clearly made by a 16 year old and making it make more sense so the idea I'm not going to tell you because it's embarrassing like (laughs) I was it's written by a 16 year old like come on give me give me some idea give me some you know know. um because I I basically created this world like over the course of a year and then had no plot which is a bit of a problem okay. um and i finally have a plot so i'm now retooling it to make it more sense with the plot can if you I... tell us a bit about what these stories will be is there like a, a sort of a pitch or a... uh so they're both they're both fantasy novels one is more gothic than the other one is more gridmark than the other um yeah, I don't really like talking about my fiction. This okay. is the thing because it's a very personal process. Um, and also because whenever I do, I sound really dumb because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're explaining this idea and to you it makes complete sense. But to somebody else, they're like, really? Why are you telling me this? I think there's this idea that... Um, Having done a create two creative writing courses, people don't want to listen to you explain their books. Your your book okay. to them, they they don't not really. <laughs> They're being polite. <laughs> um, so, apologies yeah. for the slight banging noises in the background. By the way, there are some building works yep. going on on the roof of the office, and there's not much. I did move about. down floors, so they must be very loud above me. So, um, so. I want to talk about RuneScape now okay. because RuneScape is one of these, I think, probably defining games for you. We've talked about it um, yeah. 
a few times uh, before. So how long have you been playing RuneScape for now? I have been playing RuneScape now for 16 years. Okay. So when did your RuneScape journey begin? begin? Did you remember the first time you played it? Oh, Why yeah, did you play yeah. it? How, did you, how um, did you get there? What did you think? I wanted to play an adventure game, which I hadn't played before. And I went online and I typed fantasy adventure games into Google and RuneScape was the wow. first result. And thus began a massive life problem. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. what did you think when you when when you loaded it up? How, and so, so how old were you when you started I, playing? I'm not telling people how old I am, but no. they can do simple okay. maths. <laughs> so you were a teenager, roughly. I was a teenager. Yeah, I was a okay. teenager. Um, and I just thought it was fun, and it had. I love maps. I love fantasy world maps, and it had a map. And it had a it, it had a good one, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to play this just so I can go places on the map." And then found out you had to spend money to get everywhere, and spent something like two years persuading my parents to let me have a membership. Um, and it's very much so. I think up until I had a membership, I played it on and off, and then I had a very couple of intense years where I just. Played runes. I played other games, but it was pretty much come home play RuneScape on the weekends. Okay. Play RuneScape for a minimum of five hours a day. Um, so I wasn't wow. as bad as like obviously some people, but it was pretty damn intense. And then when I got to uni, it, it slowed down because I had coursework, and um, then it would pick up again in the summer, and then it would slow down again. It was this very kind of like on off on off thing and then they did the evolution of combat and I hated that and I had a six month break <laughs> and then I um, you know I did my masters and I had to I, mean, I had a break when I was doing my dissertation so now it's very much like it's not as intense as it used to be but I'm I'm there I'm in and there I'm on like a um, I, I tend to have like a month break just to make sure that I play other games because okay. I'm very aware that I can get sucked in and I like to I like to read when I play because RuneScape in many places is very is a very AFK game, and I find it very okay. relaxing to just sit and read while my 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 little person fishes or mines or does archaeology. Um, and then this is something that I yeah. sort of struggled with is um, I many of the defining games in in my kind of gaming journey i can't believe i just called it that are mmos but they are more active in the moment kind of systems mmos where you're actively fighting against other characters or you're kind of actively doing things and i would kind of look across at runescape and i would look at it and i was a bit dismissive of it because i thought well you know a it kind of looks a bit rudimentary and i was like and b i was like it doesn't seem like anyone's doing anything in it but over time and the more i've talked to people like you about it and the more i've kind of uh, researched and looked into runescape i've begun to begun to appreciate this kind of afk nature of the game where it's almost like an animated chat room yeah well that's one of the reasons why it got so popular um to begin with because i think a lot of people forget that it's now you know 21 years old so right, yeah. it when it first came out, chat rooms were a really big thing. And RuneScape offered people the chance to chat while actually doing something. And there is this, there's kind of like this inbuilt um, rule 
well, not rule. It's just politeness, really, for especially for people like me who've been playing for so long that if you're doing something and someone ch- starts up a conversation, you kind of just join in. And you okay. were like, I've chatted to strangers who I've never talked to before for like hours. And then wow. I'll never talk to them again because they're just never at the same fishing spot. Um, you know, I, I have friends who I've made on there because we just happen to be using the same area at the same time. Um, I used to do a lot of bowstring running. If you play RuneScape, <laughs> you know what that is. And I have a friend who on RuneScape who I met through bowstring running, and they occasionally still play the game. And it will be like, oh, yeah, do you remember when we used to used to bowstring run for hours? What a stupid way to make money. Why didn't we go do something else? <laughs> but it's about, I suppose... You know, being social and kind of spending your spare time being social while, yeah, you know, like you say, having something to do. Was this something that you had, uh, you've made real life friends through? Has it kind of crossed that? Um, so I boundary? have, I have a real life friend who plays RuneScape, okay. but we knew each other before then. Um, uh, I've never met anyone I've played RuneScape with. Um, okay. I don't, I don't think I'd want to. Like, there's this level of like kind of like um yeah no i just i don't really yeah separation and i don't play as much as i used to i'm i'm on a little bit of a break at the moment i'm gonna get back in again because the the new battle passes out and i might do a bit of that but i'm mostly just because i i don't have the time at the moment what do you think it's enduring um appeal is to you what does it kind of represent to you so i really love the world i really love the law um my character is very built for skilling at the moment so i need i do need to go do some combat training so i can catch up on all the new law stuff which i've missed because i've been busy mostly with work (laughs) um uh but it's really, I find the storyline a lot of fun. And the best thing about RuneScape is that there are multiple storylines. There, there is the main storyline, as it were, um, which I won't ruin for anyone because you should all play RuneScape. It's a great <laughs> game. Um, you, you should do it, Bertie, so that I have someone to raid with. It will only I'm... take you a month to of full-on grinding 10 hours a day to get up to where I need you to be. Okay, less keen on the sound of it now. So I understand as well from from when we talked that you were um, you'd play on role-playing servers or you, yeah. you were in a kind of role-play aspect. And I, I dipped into this a bit in mm. Dark Age of Camelot years ago. And um, I think it really adds something to the setting of a, a server that you're playing in because, you know, everyone's... Taking yeah, it, on characters. It's a nice, fun little way to do it. I think I logged in yesterday to show you something, and you probably saw like the server I log into is like has a little notice saying, This is a role playing server. If you don't want to be role playing, go somewhere else. Do lots of um, people role play? Is it a vibrant community in that respect? Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit out of it at the moment because I don't play as regularly. And if I was going to do it like with a guild, I'd want to it to be a consistent thing. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, I do it occasionally still. It's just a bit of fun. And also it's quite nice, especially when, like I said, I like the lore. I like all the different storylines. Like the best thing about RuneScape is like there's a storyline about the penguins trying to take over the world. While at the same <laughs> time, you've got the story of the people trying to rebel against the vampires. But you also have, um, you know, you can go do a, a crest line about starting up a spa and it's really strange wow. and then king arthur is also just in runescape for some reason he's just there just just there um are there any other games that you've kind of reached to like runescape are there any other games that even come close to kind of meaning as much to you as as, as runescape does so probably um very pacific i got gamecube and for Christmas one year, and it had the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition on it, which okay. has Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And that was pretty much my gateway into games which weren't Pokemon. Because um, <laughs> before then, I was pretty much, I, I like video games. I like all these random demos I have for my PC. And this Russian black market copy of The Sims my dad got me, um, <laughs> which was in Russian. And oh, literally Russian. Literally okay. Russian. Um, barely any idea of what I'd do. Thankfully, the cheat codes could be inputted in English. Um, but all of all of the rest of it, all the explanations on how to play The Sims were in Russian. And a lot of Sims died in the first kind of hours of playing because I had no idea what I was doing. Okay, but at least it wasn't um, on purpose. No, no, I just didn't realise that um, they, they could... Yeah, I had no idea really what I was doing because I I had to like make a post-it note of and figure out like what all the um what all the levels were like like the hunger and the bladder and stuff because obviously it was in Russian and I was seven and I could not read Russian. So can you now um, read Cyrillic? No, I I could I well I could probably read the word hunger and bladder, but I can't I, I can't read actual Cyrillic. <laughs> I'm actually learning to read uh, Cyrillic oh, um, cool. because my partner's Bulgarian and they have Cyrillic as well. So um, I find it fascinating. Anyway, so anyway. how do you eventually find yourself working at Eurogamer? What's the path that gets you there? You, you're studying creative writing yeah. and then somehow you end up at Eurogamer. Yeah, how does that so, so like I said, I got fed up with trying to get my PhD done. And I just went, you know what? I've always wanted to be a video games journalist. Why I have a year. I'm just going to give myself a year of doing um, random, like I was doing like stuff like farm work and stuff like that. And, farm uh, work? Yeah, yeah. Being wow. So how, long were you f how long were you farm working for? Uh, not very long because um, j just because I, you know, I have a dodgy leg. So it was ah, okay. when... You know, when the leg was good, Lottie would turn up and get some money for like moving pigs and stuff like that. And because <laughs> um, I, I used to waitress to support myself and I, I couldn't like at the time. Thankfully, it's a lot better now. But at the time, I couldn't like stand up for 12 hour shifts. So okay. um, so I went, you know, what? I've always wanted to be a video game journalist. Um, I'll give myself a year and then I'll see how it goes. And. Quite early on, I got an interview with PC Games N and I went in and we ended up just talking about RuneScape and they had a contract to write um, 
I shouldn't really be telling this part because I think I'm still under contract. A person who definitely wasn't me got offered for job to write guides, which were also adverts for Uh. RuneScape for PC Games N as a ghostwriter. So I did that, and then I wrote a couple of pieces for um, RuneScape for them, and then I went to RuneFest, and then I got an interview to be a guideswriter at Rock Paper Shotgun. Uh And I think the idea was that um, while I'm interviewing for this position, they knew, everyone knew that Tapsall, Chris Tapsall, now our reviews editor, was going to move over to staff writer. And because I had more console experience and I had PC experience, I think the idea was that it would be better if I interviewed for Eurogamer instead. So I interviewed for Eurogamer and then I got the job. Da-da, really boring story. Wow. <laughs> the important I'm... thing is that RuneScape is the foundation of my career. Wowzers. Do you think, can, can you envisage yourself playing RuneScape? forever as long as it's around this is a dangerous question because we don't want Lottie to go off on one on RuneScape Um, if Jagex doesn't make monetization work I'm picking my words very carefully to make sure I don't go off on one and we actually get some good content over the next year then I might be happy we have finally got a new quest this week I have not played it yet I did so, not like the previous quest. Would you ever work on RuneScape? I don't think I would. And I think, um, I think one, they wouldn't hire me because I wrote an article criticising their monetization practices. Okay. And two, morally, I don't think that I should work there because I wrote an article um, criticizing their monetization practices, and I think that if I took a job with them, that would make me a hypocrite. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Okay, so we kind of come to the end of our our time. Thank you so much. Um, no worries for doing this, for talking to me today. Um, but there are a few questions um, I ask mm. at the end of these uh, podcasts to everyone. Uh, we've probably covered a few of them, but maybe you've got different answers. Uh, we'll see. Um, so there's three questions, and the first of these is first game. What was your first game? It was a pinball game on the Microsoft laptop. I'm going to have to go and... I remember uh, yeah, playing this game. It's something... I swear it's something like space or astronaut um, pinball. I can never remember. I know it was purple, and okay. there was a dude in a spaceship, and it was a pinball game. Okay. Yeah. So what was the last game you played? Um, your last game? I imagine it's probably Stray, but it might not be. No, it would be... What was I playing last week? I was finishing up Tunic. Tunic? Ah, and what yeah. did you think? I really liked it. I thought the golden cross puzzle is incredibly clever. Um, that's one of the smartest puzzles I've ever seen. Um, did you write a guide about Tunic? No, Donlan did. Okay. Um, because I did. We uh, Tunic came out, you know, in in the time which is known mentally for me as the Elden Ring time, and okay. we did not have enough time to cover it. Fair enough. And the last question, which is the hardest one, what is your best game? Which I guess is is favourite game. Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask. 
Wow, I was convinced you were going to say RuneScape. No, no, it's Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I absolutely adore that game. It is, it, it's brilliant. I think not just in the terms of how quickly they made it, but the entire atmosphere of the game is brilliant. And I, I loved it as a kid, but it creeped the hell out of me. And oh. for ages when I was a kid, where uh, I would have to play it for a day, I mean, I couldn't play it for a week because I would get dreams about about the game every time wow. I played it. Like really intense, bordering on like proper nightmare territory dreams. And I don't wow. know why it's got, I think it's got something to do with like, so the version I originally played was the ported nintendo 64 version for the gamecube so it had all the kind of like glaring neon colors they put in the game and i think that's one of the reasons they did it and i love that because it just gives it like this such a surreal element to like what is essentially a batshit zelda game like it has aliens um, you meet a dancing ghost you're wearing the masks of dead souls yeah. Ah, it's brilliant. I I love it. There's a toilet ghost. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, like that's the moon. The fact that I'm pretty sure, like the game highly suggests that the moon always has a face. It's just really angry today, and nobody quite knows why. Also, it's getting closer. Maybe we should do something about that. But we're busy. We have a festival. Like, yeah, that'll do it. That'll give you nightmares. Yeah. Um, Angela, not Angela, Pamela's dad, when he comes out of the wardrobe. Um, what, what else? Um, Stone Tower. That's brilliant. Sounds like a ghost knocking at the door. Yeah, I think It's so. not a ghost knocking I'm at the door. I'm not sure what that is. I think somebody might be in the cupboard. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Lottie... Thank you so much um, for joining me today. You have been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, to everyone else, we'll be back in two weeks uh, with another episode of One to One. If you've liked this episode, please give us an amazing review wherever you're listening uh, to this from. And pop over to Eurogamer and read the amazing things we write. Uh, for now, it's bye. Bye. Bye.